Well, over the past several messages, I have been ministering from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I'm not kidding you. I feel like my heart has been on a field trip. It really has. And I still have a message or two that I want to minister from that letter, that letter to the Galatians. And that I'm going to do with that letter what you should have done with your turkey when you took it out of the oven on Thanksgiving. How many of you know when you take that bird out of the oven, you're supposed to let it rest before you cut into it? How many know that? Valerie had to remind me of that here not terribly long ago, not at this Thanksgiving. And I probably will never forget this again because now the Lord has given me a way to associate it in other ways. So I'll remember but she took the turkey out of the oven here a while back when we were having turkey dinner. And man, I had the electric knife and I was just about ready to cut into that bird. And she said, oh, no, 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 you got to let it rest. I mean, you tell a guy the bird needs to have a rest. What do I need to let that bird rest for? And see, let me tell you what happens. When you cook a piece of meat, whether it's a roast or a chicken or a turkey, what happens is all the juices move inward. And now when you bring it out of the oven and you're letting it rest, it's not just so that it cools down, but it's so that the juices that are inward begin to redistribute themselves back out through the meat so that when you cut into it, it's juicy all throughout. Now, see, I didn't know that. And that's what I feel like I want to do with Galatians. I've been squeezing this book for a little while, and this book has been squeezing me. It's been a love affair for sure. But I kind of feel like I'm working my way toward chapter 5 and chapter 6, and some of today's might be a little bit of an overlap of where we've been, but it will help. But then I just want to let that book rest for a little while so that those juices that are in there can be redistributed back into my soul again, back into my heart again, and I can come and then minister them to you again. Today, I'm going to be ministering through a word that I'm calling stand fast in liberty. In other words, when you hear those words, what it's literally saying is don't allow anything or anyone to move you in and out of the freedom that you have in Christ. Standing fast, standing firm in the liberty that God has given us in Christ Jesus is where I'm going. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians was a full course meal. He prepared the food, he set the table, he rang the dinner bell, and he served his guests a sumptuous meal. What was the meal that he served to the Galatians? What was the message that he had for the Galatians? Well, one of the dishes that he served, as we learned in the message I preached before, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Who is this slave woman? She is Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden. But do you notice it says, get rid of this slave woman and her son? The question is, who is this son? This son is Ishmael, the one who was fathered or conceived through the relations between Abraham and Hagar. 
Now, I find it interesting as I was looking at this word that the Apostle Paul is telling the Galatians to get rid of a woman and a son who have been in the grave for 1,800 years. I mean, common sense would tell us that he is using an allegory. He's injecting an allegory into this narrative because he wants to drive home a deeper and more meaningful truth. What do Hagar and Ishmael symbolize? Hagar symbolizes the law, and the Bible clearly tells us which stands for Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the very mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments on. Therefore, when Paul said, get rid of Hagar and her son, get rid of the slave woman and her son, it was synonymous with him saying, get rid of the old covenant law. Friends, you cannot interpret that really any other way. He has compared Hagar to Mount Sinai. He has compared Hagar to the law. And he is saying, get rid of Hagar. Get rid of the slave woman. Get rid of the Mosaic law. Ishmael, on the other hand, he personifies the fruit from that which was produced by flesh. Another way to say it, he personifies the fruit that was produced by self-effort and performance. That's why the woman and her son had to go. The gospel of grace comes by faith through Jesus Christ and not by works. The Bible calls grace the gift of God. The Bible says it's not by works so that no man can boast. Now, do you see what he's doing skillfully here? He's reaching back into a book they're familiar with, Genesis. And he's grabbing this woman and her son. And he's saying, get rid of this woman and her son. Get rid of this Mosaic law. And then 10 verses after he said those words, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for they shall not share in the inheritance. 10 verses after that. So the reason I say that is so that we understand we're still in context. We haven't jumped to another book that may not be talking about this story back here. We're still in context. We've moved ahead 10 verses after the Apostle Paul instructed the Galatians to get rid of the slave woman and her son. He literally compares Hagar and Ishmael to a batch of dough and a little yeast. Paul was basically saying, listen, if you hold on to any portion of this old covenant, it is like yeast, and it will eventually work its way back into the whole lump. So this is where he's coming from. He's saying, listen, if we just do away with that batch of dough, if we just do away with the yeast, he says, you won't have to worry about that anymore. We see this truth in Galatians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I love that. I want to draw your attention to that little bitty word in. It is a primary preposition. In Christ. For in Christ. Now what a primary preposition does is it denotes a fixed position. In other words, there's no way to toggle in and out. Yes, right now, I am in this church. I am in this sanctuary, and I won't stay here after service. Believe me, I will leave the sanctuary. But when it uses this primary preposition, it is talking about something that has a fixed position. 
And I think the body of Christ at large really needs to understand this, that we don't move in and out of Christ. We are fixed in Christ. And he says, for in Christ Jesus. In other words, once you come to Christ, he says, once you come to Christ, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So what is he saying? What he's saying is, once we are in Christ, the things we do or the things that we don't do, do not add to or do not subtract from our fixed position. That is what he is saying here. So I'm all about good behavior. Of course I am. I try to be on my best behavior all the time. Sometimes I get a little off, but I'm not talking about we run careless lives, but what I'm talking about is this relationship with Christ, the fact and the truth that we have been put in Christ in a fixed position, our do's and our don'ts do not undo anything that Christ has already done in us. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Friends, I may not be able to do a lot of things right, but I'm, one thing I, I have begun to learn is how to love people. And when I learned that love was really a choice, love was a decision, love was a response, I was really set free. Because at one time in my life, and I think a lot of people can identify with this, they're always waiting to be moved by a feeling. Wait till I feel love. Wait till I feel like being gracious. Wait till I feel like being compassionate. Wait till I feel like being merciful. And friends, we don't need to get moved by feelings. We're moved by Christ. The Bible says it's in Him we live and move and have our being. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? He says that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then look what he says. He says a little yeast, that's Ishmael, works its way through the whole batch of dough. There's Hagar. He said, listen, a little yeast. Yeast has an assignment. You marry it with dough and it does one thing. It puffs up. It begins to proliferate. It knows what it's there to do. It has an assignment. The way that you and I can stand fast as believers is by reminding ourselves that we have a fixed position in Christ Jesus. Rest in the truth as the juicy and tender meat from Paul's word. You know, that's what the Bible calls the Bible. It calls it the meat of God, the word of God, as that juice comes out from the inside out and it deals with insecurities. It deals with uncertainties in our lives. Give righteousness permission to work its way out from the very core of your spirit into your soul and body and let the whole man celebrate. Let the whole man be whole. Again, what Paul's doing here is he's introducing the batch of dough and the yeast in the context of getting rid of Hagar and her son, getting rid of the batch of dough, which represents, now listen, some people may get offended by this, but this is what it represents. When he's saying, get rid of the batch of dough, he's saying, and hear me out on this, get rid of the 10 commandments and get rid of the yeast, which represents the 613 Jewish laws, getting rid of them in the sense that they are the means of becoming or remaining acceptable in Christ. They are not. 
I'm for the Ten Commandments for their purpose. I don't want to steal from my neighbor. I don't want to covet my neighbor's things. I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to lie. I don't feel like doing those things. It's not behavior for a new creation in Christ. But I'm not governed by those. I'm governed by the Spirit. I am. Jesus had much to say to his disciples about the importance of living a yeast-free life. Not in the sense of what we would say natural yeast, but in the sense of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's what he compared it to, yeast, their teachings. And let me ask the question, what was wrong with the leaders in those days' teachings? Well, for starters, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were following the letter of the law rather than the Spirit. Because that's all they knew. It wasn't wrong in a sense because that's all they knew. But had they have known the heart of God, which is introduced throughout the Old Testament, the heart of God shows up throughout the Old Testament, especially in some of the minor prophets. Had they have been able to see the heart of God, what they would have seen is the very personification of God standing there in Christ Jesus, and they would have let go of the old covenant system. Jesus is standing right in front of them. This is why they even had a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. They had a big problem with that. You see, curing people of sickness or healing people of diseases or raising people from the dead was considered work. And to be working on the Sabbath when the Sabbath forbid them to work was a problem. And Jesus came through and he began to do things that they had never seen done before. And yet they still had a problem with that. I mean, what he's done with his words, what he's done with his touches, you would have to really reason in your heart and go, there's got to be something greater going on the inside of him than what we know of. But they refused. They were steeped in the law. They wanted to kill Jesus because he had been good to people, even on the Sabbath. That's because they were steeped in laws and, and what we would call the traditions of men. Jesus was basically saying to his disciples, listen, would you like to stand fast in liberty? And I believe his disciples would have said, yes, Lord. Yes, amen, we would. Then what he was saying, then get rid of the yeast, that is the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That was his response. He said, listen, if you want to grow in this grace, if you want to live a freedom life, he said, you have to get rid of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We find this truth in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. I don't know how you forget to take your groceries, but they forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, 
It is because we didn't bring any bread. In other words, they're saying, Jesus said that because we forgot to bring bread. But Jesus, aware of their discussion, asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? He's drawing their hearts. He's drawing their minds back to two of the greatest miracles that he ever did. And he's saying, don't you remember these things? And your concern, whether or not you brought a loaf of bread across from one side of the lake to the other? <laughs> he said, how is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That was Jesus' message. So the irrational behavior of the Pharisees and the Sadducees stemmed from the fact, listen to me carefully, that they were losing control of the people. This is a people that had been introduced by the apostles to the gospel. Now, friends, if, if you don't have competitors, then it's easy not to be alarmed. But when a competitor comes in, it, it, what they saw was a competitor, suddenly they began to get a little nervous. I'm talking about the gospel that didn't include the laws and rituals that the religious leaders held in high esteem, the very laws that made them feel superior and important. And that's the way the Pharisees and Sadducees felt. They always felt superior. They looked down their nose at common folk. They felt important. They would even let you know when they're fasting. They'd put ashes on their forehead and they would stand on the corner and they would just mourn. They wanted everybody to know they were going through all of this stuff for God. See what I'm doing for God? Friends, it is for the same reason that the majority of the media loathes the president of the United States. It is because the president has made it very clear that he does not need the media in order to push his narrative or to get things done. And that is exactly the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw it. What do you mean you don't need us? We've always been here for you. We're superior. We're important. No, 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 not really. And that makes the media feel inferior and unimportant. And I'll tell you one of the things that's going to show up, one of the first things you're going to see when a person starts feeling like they've lost the battle, they've lost control of the conversation, they've lost their way, is you're going to find slander is going to show up. It's one of the quickest things, and that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always doing to Jesus, slandering him, mocking him, making fun of him. It's the same thing we're seeing right now. It is the evidence that a person has lost control of the conversation when they can no longer manipulate your paradigm. So what do they do? They try to slander you, and they try to kill you. In Galatians 
chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, we find these words. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. It says these things are being taken figuratively. Now watch what it says. You've got to drill down on this point. Look what he's saying. He said these things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenant. These women, which is Hagar and Sarah, and these covenant, which is old and new, are as different from each other as Fox News is from CNN. I'm telling you, there is a striking difference. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, which bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Now, you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Friends, please look at these words. Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. I believe an amen fits perfectly right there. After World War II ended, there was a proliferation of new drugs and chemicals that were introduced into the marketplace. And as a result, suicide and childhood poisonings from these agents, I mean, drastically increased. About that time, did you know that 50% of all accidents and deaths involving children were from poisonings? In the years following, America would establish what we now know as the American Association of Poison Control Centers. You see, friends, listen to me. The chemicals found in a bottle of Drano work perfectly to unstop a clogged drain. <laughs> but that bottle of Drano will never unstop a clogged heart. I'm talking about the heart that is stopped up, that is clogged up with fear and pain and frustration. I'm talking about the heart that is clogged with guilt and riddled with shame and condemnation. I'm talking about the heart that is full of betrayal and abandonment and dishonesty and loneliness and unforgiveness. And so it is with the law. Listen to me. The law works perfectly to bring sinner to Christ. The law works perfectly when dealing with a heart that is clogged with pride and self-righteousness. But the law, as I've said before, is a Molotov cocktail. It is a concoction that's deadly when used in a believer's life as the means to either get right or to stay right or to remain right in Christ. There is no place for the law to remain right in Christ. And that it was the Apostle Paul's point when he said to get rid of the slave woman and her son. He was saying to have them around is like having a can of Drano, a bottle of Drano within reach of a child. He is saying get rid 
of the batch of dough and yeast. Don't ingest the law. It's like a poison. You don't need the poison control center hotline when you fall or swallow something you shouldn't have. You just need to come to the throne of grace, the Bible says, where we find grace and we find mercy to help us in our time of need. Airline pilots find it perplexing that so many people are afraid of turbulence. Did you know that it's almost impossible for turbulence to crash a plane or, or to be the cause of a plane crash. Pilots avoid turbulence when at all possible for two reasons, because it's annoying and because it scares passengers. I don't avoid the law because I think my spiritual wings are going to fall off. And I've been in turbulence before and I look at the wings out there and the wings are flapping like a bird and you think, well, how much more of that can they take? Friends, they're designed to stay flying and you're designed to stay flying as well, even in turbulent times. I avoid the law because it's annoying and because it scares passengers. And if you entertain it, it will make your heart fearful and it will bring condemnation in your heart. It's all or nothing. And with me, I've, I've had to let go of it. Listen, friends, I don't carry a baby rattle with me anymore. I mean, some of the weirdest things I've seen over the years is adults sucking on pacifiers, and I'm just like, really? Is that, is that a thing, or what is this? You know, you should have lost that a long time ago. I mean, literally, in the physical sense, that was a thing a while back. I've let go of that thing because... There's no place in it in my heart. I don't need it. I have Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. I know that there are times when we feel like we've just come out of the oven. We've come out from the heat. This is not a time to think about the list of things that you might have done wrong. This is a time to rest and allow the juices that are on the inside of your spirit to work their way out into your soul and into your body. There are going to be times when you look at scriptures and you go, oh no, my wings just fell off. <laughs> I must have gotten into a little Drano. I need to call the poison control center. No, friends, in times like these, we need to just stand fast in liberty. Do you see that word in, that primary preposition? It means you don't move in and out. Stand fast, stand firm, stand solid in liberty, knowing that I'm in a fixed position in Christ. Times like that, we need to stand fast in liberty. We don't need to allow anyone or anything to move us out of the freedom that we're experiencing. This scripture right here, I think is one of the most terrifying scriptures to people. And I used it in my last message, but I want us to look at it again. It says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Okay. That scripture is not so scary. Look at the beginning of it. It says, you who are trying to be justified by the law. Well, the law doesn't justify anybody. If you've been justified, you have not been justified by the law. You've been justified by his blood. You've been justified by his grace. The Bible says that we've been justified by faith. For by faith are you've been justified. For by grace have you been justified. 
were justified by his dear son. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So I agree there are times that we're going to look at a new covenant scripture under old covenant lenses and we're going to believe that the turbulence we created in our own lives took our wings off. But friends, that is simply not true. That scripture right there is not talking about the fact that we can lose anything really other than we move out of that realm. See, I was thinking about this morning. If you got into an aircraft and it had enough fuel to go all the way around the world, that'd be an awful big fuel tank. But if it could go all the way around the world, eventually you would just keep coming around and you'd move around and around again. If you started heading east, eventually you'd come back around to where you started. That's because we're in a certain atmosphere. But if you could go high enough and do that, friends, there'd come a point in time you wouldn't make a circle and come back because you'd leave an atmosphere that holds you to the earth. <laughs> it's called gravity, I guess. And you would eventually just keep flying on and on and on. Friends, that's what he's done with our sin. He separated them as far as the east is from the west. And when we move away from this mentality, this heart conviction that we have been established in grace, we have been saved by his amazing grace, we just keep running in a circle and we fall from that higher place. We fall from that realm. Doesn't mean we've lost anything. We've just went into a different realm in our minds. In the narrative that I just read about Hagar and Ishmael, slave versus free, law versus grace, the apostle Paul concludes his remark with a skull and crossbones when he said, get rid of of the slave woman and her son. This is poison, he said. He put a Mr. Yuck is mean, Mr. Yuck is green on things pertaining to the law for the believer. How many of you remember that early 1970s commercial called Mr. Yuck? And that's the way they would do it. They would go, Mr. Yuck is mean. Mr. Yuck is green. And they had this eerie music playing in the background. And you know what? I'm telling you. Then they would show his face, how it would go from no color to this green and how this big frown came on his face. And they wanted children to see this. And they've started putting it on poisonous things that you'd find under their sink because they wanted the children to get a visual. When you saw Mr. Yuck, he makes you sick. Don't put him in your your heart don't put them in your mouth they wanted us to see that but you know what those commercials didn't run for very long and they had to take them off television why because they were scaring little children they were effective but they were scaring little kids it's the same with the law effective but it's scaring God's kids and it shouldn't be scaring his children effective. But like Hagar and Ishmael, it had to go for the believer. You cannot be free. Free of what you talking about, Mark? Free of fear. Free of condemnation. You need anything else other than that? You cannot be free of fear and condemnation if you hold on to Mr. Yuck. We have the spirit of Christ to guide us into all truth and righteousness. I love how the Apostle Paul, I mean wittingly and deliberately, he used a pre 
Mosaic law narrative to etch a sketch on the hearts of the Galatians. His message was not in complicated Morse code. His message was intelligible. Get rid of the old covenant and its offspring. Everything that was produced by the flesh or would get produced by the flesh, he said, you need to get rid of that. You can't be free if you hold on to this. Get rid of the Ten Commandments. Now listen, I know that sounds sacrilegious, but hear me out. Get rid of the Ten Commandments and the 613 Jewish laws in the sense that we do not embrace them as the means or the method that make us righteous and holy. They do not contribute to your righteousness. They do not contribute to your holiness. Jesus did that with his grace. Jesus did that with his sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus is our righteousness and Jesus is our holiness. One son, not ten commandments. One son is sufficient. I can't speak for you, but I, I'm going to stand fast in that liberty. We see that truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. It says, it is because of him. Please, please underscore that in your heart this morning. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. See that word in again? What does it denote? It denotes a fixed position. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. How did we get that? We got all of that when we were put in Christ, when we became a fixed asset, a fixed position in Christ. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb and he has rendered the old covenant obsolete by finishing the work with his once for all sacrifice on the cross. By his sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice, one God, one mediator, one Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Why did Hagar and Ishmael have to be sent away? I mean, that's really a good question. I used to meditate on that going, really? I mean, because after all, Hagar was not the one who came up with the bright idea to sleep with Abraham. It was Sarah. Sarah's the one who came up with that idea. And Ishmael was even more innocent. I mean, Hagar could have said no, I suppose. Ishmael had no choice. Ishmael didn't ask to be born. He was not responsible for the decisions that were made for him. Hagar and Ishmael were sent away so that you and I could look back at a pre-New Covenant example of life within the New Covenant of grace. A life that does not include flesh. Therefore, here's the beauty out of it. If it doesn't include flesh, therefore, Flesh cannot change the terms of the new covenant. I want to pause and just relish in that for a second. When flesh shows up in a form that's not so pretty, it does not change the terms of the new covenant. Hagar and Ishmael have been sent away. It's important to understand that God didn't love Hagar and Ishmael any less than he loved Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. In fact, the scriptures tell us that 
He blessed Hagar and he blessed Ishmael. God loves the law also. The law is holy, the Bible says. It's just or it's righteous and good. But the law was not designed to dwell under the same tent of grace. Hagar and Sarah, one representing more of the law, one representing the mother of grace. They were not designed to live within the same tent. And they're not designed to live within this same tent either. It's one or the other, friends. They don't cohabitate. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 21, we find these words. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Do you see, Abraham has not forgotten about his firstborn son. He loves Ishmael. He's waited on 86 years for Ishmael. And he's saying, God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing too. And then God said, yes. <laughs> I love that. Yes, he will. But your wife Sarah will bear a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I love this. I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Do you see that? The father has not forgotten about the ones that refuse to come under the tent of grace. I mean, everybody, there's, the only way into Christ is through grace. There's no other way. Whether you get this revelation of the finished work or not, he said, my blessing is still upon you. But unfortunately, you're going to live in fear. You're going to feel like your wings are coming off all the time. You're going to be calling the poison control center all the time. You're going to be falling on your face all the time. He said, when you can really just rest, rest in my finished work. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. The inspiration for this message came from this verse. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let me talk to the ladies for a moment in here, okay? How many of you ladies have worn dress shoes to a formal event when you knew in advance that those shoes were going to put your feet in bondage before the event was over? Come on. Is it true? But you wore them anyway, because after all, they were cute shoes. They, they made me look taller. And they just happened to go with my outfit. Friends, that is exactly what the Judaizers did to the Galatians. They came in with a message like this. Let us accessorize you. We've got shoes 
that will make you look cute. We've got shoes that will make you look taller. We've got shoes that better match what you're wearing. We've got shoes that go better with your garment. <laughs> and that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. He is saying there are going to be times when you're tempted to wear shoes that don't fit you. Hagar's shoes. Ishmael's shoes. You may feel like you're standing fast, but those are unstable shoes and they will break your ankles and they will break your heart. They will put your feet in bondage. Friends, the Mosaic Law may look like it dresses you right, but I'm telling you, it is not fitting for the believer. We have been clothed with Christ and we have been seated with Him in heavenly places. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The shoes that Jesus slips over our feet fit us like a Cinderella. They fit us perfectly and they do not hurt our feet and they do not hinder our walk. The revelation, friends, of the shoes of sonship help us to stand fast in the liberty wherewith he has given us. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul said, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. He's saying, listen, friends, I'm going to fit you perfectly with shoes that you're going to be able to stand in, and they're just going to fit you so well. And they're not going to hurt your feet, friend. They're not going to cripple your walk. Galatians 5, 1 again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That word stand fast means to be stationary. Friends, listen, stationary means you stay put. Isn't that what it means? Stationary means you're not going anywhere. You're put. You're there. You're not moving all over the place. You are in Christ, a fixed position. You are put in Christ to be stationary. It says to persevere. I looked up that word persevere and I love this. It says to persist in a state, enterprise, or undertaking. Now look at this. In spite of counter influences, opposition, or discouragement. Let me talk to the pilots in here for a second. I mean, there are times when you have left your route and it is a sunshiny day, man. It's just a beautiful day. And there's some counter influences that come along your journey. There's some opposition that come along your journey and you have to change course. You have to fly above or below or around sometimes maybe. There are things that are going to happen in a believer's life. You're going to have counter influences. You're going to have opposition at times. 
You're going to be discouraged at times when they say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go around the runway. And you're looking at your fuel gauge and you go, well, I don't have that much fuel. And they say, the runway's full. Go around, go around, go around. And you have to circle and come back around. There are times these things are going to happen. They're normal in our lives. And he's saying, listen, in the midst of those times, I want to remind you who you are in Christ. You stand firm in those situations. When Hagar knocks on your door, when Ishmael comes and knocks on your door, he said, you stand firm knowing exactly who you are in Christ. When someone tries to speak the law into your heart, into your life, when your own mind tries to do that, when the word is not interpreted right and is trying to do that, he says, you stand firm. You stand firm in the liberty which I've given you. In other words, we are to stand fast. We are to be stationary and persevere in our freedom when we are being hindered, opposed, or discouraged. Friends, you and I were walking around in tight shoes in the fiery furnace of performance at one time, but we have been delivered. What is our response after coming out of the oven of performance? I'll tell you what it is. Rest. You've just come out of the oven of performance. What is your response? Rest. Rest and allow the juices of daddy's love. Rest and allow the juices of daddy's mercy. Rest and allow the juices of daddy's grace to saturate the whole man. Listen, from the inside out, not from the outside in. Outside in is Hagar and Ishmael. Inside out is Sarah and Isaac. Do you see the philosophical difference? That's a big one. Rest in the wonderful truth that we are in Christ denoting a fixed position. Rest in the confident expectation that our wings are not going to fall off when we face turbulence. Rest in the fact that the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Mosaic Law and Hagar and Ishmael and the batch of dough and yeast have all been taken away. They have all been sent out into the desert. There is no need to call the Poison Control Center of America. We don't need to be frightened by Mr. Yuck. In Christ, we have been made wisdom. In Christ, we have been made righteousness. In Christ, we have been made sanctification. In Christ, we have been made redemption. We are children of promise. And as children of promise, we simply stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for your wonderful grace today. I want to thank you that you don't just use words, but you draw pictures in our hearts, Daddy. And pictures are a lot harder to forget than words. We'll forget a name quicker than we'll forget a face. And so, Daddy, I want to thank you for these pictures that the Apostle Paul skillfully drew to the Galatians. Why did he do it? Because he had a heart for them and he wanted them to see your heart. And your heart is you've got to let go of Hagar and Ishmael. You've got to let go of the old covenant in the sense of keeping you or making you right. No, they've been sent away. 
I want to thank you, Father, that you have fitted us with shoes that fit perfectly. Daddy, it's a Cinderella foot in the hand of a prince. Daddy, thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that Jesus loves his bride so much that even those that are overlooked, walked around by people in life, Daddy, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. You're there to remind us that there's healing in your wings. Healing not only in our spirit, but healing in our soul. Healing for our bodies. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Father. We thank you for these truths. May you seal them in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.